live, but uh, I don't even know what that means. Uh, does that mean that I would be live on the air currently? Because I'm not live on the air, but I'm alive. But I'm coming to you from West Palm Beach, Florida. And I got to tell you, I love Florida. I mean, dang, I mean, if Florida is not like the laughing stock of the internet, and I don't even know why. I mean, it's incredible here. I mean, really, it is like uh, just, it is really just unbelievable. The weather's fantastic. The people are great. I mean, it's just, uh, it's such a, just a melting pot of just people looking to have a good time. I mean, they're drinking down here probably doing a lot of cocaine they're happy they're wild i mean i'm at the west palm beach improv and and i don't know how long that you might have been listening to this podcast but uh i think i was here in late 2019 and i at the palm beach improv and i just had the worst time I was headlining on Thursday and Sunday and then opening for a hypnotist on Friday and Saturday. And I just had the worst time. I hated it. I didn't want to say that I hated it because I hate saying that I hate places. Uh, I I never want to bash a club. So I just, I think I left it at I did not have a good time. But I'm down here this time and it could not be a more different experience. Um, and I'm going to get into, I'm going to just jump right into the where we've been, where we're going segment. And I'll just start from, I'll start with this weekend and then I'm going to backtrack a little bit because it's been a couple of weeks since I did a podcast. Um, but I, um, uh, this Monday night I flew in. Oh yeah, well let's just get into that. And then it'll get more positive as it goes along. But Monday night, Monday I did a podcast. I did the Nate Land podcast with, uh, you know, Brian Bates, Aaron Weber, and Nate Bergazzi. And then I left there. I sat home for about an hour or so. And then I went to the airport and I flew out. I flew out Southwest, which I've been doing more often. I'm I'm an American Airlines guy. I'm the highest status you can get with American Airlines now. And uh, I'm proud of it. Uh, because it only is earned. It's because I've flown so much. But Southwest is a hub in Nashville, and they have a lot of direct flights. Uh, so if I can get a direct flight, I'm going to do Southwest from now on, even though I hate it. I hate the boarding process with Amer- with with Southwest. I mean, we're like herded like cattle in there. You got your little number, and you're like, um, you know, you're A1 through 30, get in here. And uh, so it's like, and the air conditioner just came on here too. I don't know if you can hear that, but it's hot down here. I'm not going to turn it off. Um, but it's like, you're then it's first come, first serve. So you go A115 and you got to like kind of 
hustle on and get your seat. And A through 1 through 15, I mean, that's like where you got to, you know, it's like that's first class for Southwest. But the difference is like with um, American Airlines, I board group one, right? There's still a couple of groups that board before group one, but I'm group one. But my seat is assigned. So if I want to get on with group one, I can. Or if I want to hang back, maybe not get on the plane too soon, I can hang back. But my seat is going to be there no matter what. With Southwest, it's like if you don't board with your group, who knows what kind of seat you're going to get. And I don't like that. Because I was sitting in a restaurant ordering some fried chicken, which should take about two seconds to cook. It took 20 minutes, and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to miss my flight. So I had to board my flight with my hot chicken and eat it on the plane, um, which I was hoping would deter anyone from sitting next to me, but it did not. Um, So anyway, I get on this plane. We fly. We're headed down to Orlando. Uh, But apparently there was a lot of bad weather in Orlando, so we couldn't land. We had to fly. We, We took the long way around to Orlando to try to land, and then they were like, uh, oh, the storm is now over the airport. We can't land. So we flew to Tampa, landed, sat on the plane, refueled, and then when it was all clear, we flew to Orlando. So a, a two-hour flight turned into about a three-hour flight or more. And then we landed, and then baggage took forever because everybody that was supposed to land in Orlando but couldn't all had to land at one time. So we all landed in Orlando, and then it took forever to get our bags. And then I had to get a rental car, and wow, what a line that was. I mean, I don't know what happens with people, but it seems like every single person renting a car ahead of me had a problem. When I got there to rent my car, I think that whole process took about uh, uh, five minutes. Everybody else seemed to take 20 minutes. I don't know what's going on in there. I mean, I was just ready to go. But they gave me my car, and then I walked to the carport, and then the spot they told me my car would be in, there was no car, so I had to go back down there. But the lady was very nice. She hooked me up. Uh, So I rented my car, and then I drove to the Gaylord um, Resort. Same kind of resort as in Nashville where the Opryland is at or our whole Opry Mills Mall. Very nice. I checked in about 3 a.m. Supposed to check in about 11 p.m. It was 3 a.m. the next day. All good. Got into my room, slept, woke up the next day, walked around this, you know, beautiful uh, slash cheesy resort area, you know? I mean, it's like it is beautiful, right? In the sense that you're, you're walking around in this indoors you're in this giant like forest area there's uh little streams and there's alligators and turtles and it's like it's wild right but it's also like uh, i'm here to do a corporate gig i'm alone i'm not with my family or with kids i mean for me i'm like give me a hilton on the side of the interstate it's all the same to me but i you know i got some food i did a corporate gig was great uh you know corporate gigs are what they are right it's like you go and you're doing comedy for a company 
So I do clean comedy, but usually my clean comedy has a little edge to it. I got some weed jokes. I got references to sex here and there, but all in all pretty clean. But when I'm doing a corporate event, I'm like, well, how clean does it need to be? I just want to make sure the people writing my check are happy with the job I'm doing because one, I want to make sure I get that check, but I also want to make sure that I get a positive reference so that, you know, these corporate gigs continue to come in. I don't want to be the guy that comes in, does some edgy jokes, has a good time one night, but then blows it for myself in the future. So I'm like, let's keep it cookie cutter. Let's keep it clean. And it was a great time. And then, you know, and then I went and um, ate some food, sat in a sports bar alone. And because even when I, I'm getting paid good money to do a, a corporate gig, but even then I go to a restaurant and they're like 60 bucks for a steak. I'm like, nah, that's okay. I'm going to go find some chicken fingers somewhere. I just am not about that life. I can Once in a while, I can spring forward and go, all right, let's treat myself. But I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. I know how much a steak costs in the grocery store, and I know how to cook a steak. And so just my mind, I'm just like, I cannot, I cannot bring myself to do it. I just can't do it. But once in a while. I did a gig in Vegas one time, and I was like, you know what? I'm springing for the $60 steak. And it was delicious. I will tell you that. It was delicious. Uh, and then the next day, I drove, got in my car. I drove to Gainesville, Florida, where I did a, a, a gig at a place called High Dive. Uh, very fun gig. Uh, I had uh, my friends Chris Buck and Liam Nelson on the show with me. And then there was another guy on the show, local guy to the Gainesville area, um, and uh, he was on the show I don't know him and I asked him to be and the guy was funny he did a good job but he was uh, I asked him to be uh, relatively clean that's what I ask all my openers is to be relatively clean because I don't want to you know trap people I don't want people to be boring right so I don't need them to be church clean I don't need them to be corporate clean I want them to be free to do what they do but not get out of control, right? Uh, but this guy, he started off really well. He only had seven minutes. I was only going to do five, but in the moment I, I, I felt, ah, oh, no, nah, I don't want to give him such a short time. But he's up there, and he starts talking about dildos and flashlights, and I'm like, dude, whoa, right? Like that is what I'm talking about relatively clean. Relatively clean to me means, all right, you got an F-bomb, you got one F-bomb in your set, drop it. I don't care. As long as it makes sense for your joke, it enhances your joke, drop an F-bomb. Really doesn't matter to me. I'd prefer you didn't, but not that big of a deal. If you have some light cuss words, not a big deal. Uh, but sex stuff is where it no longer becomes relatively clean. And I just don't think people understand that. And it's like, when you're a young comic, you get so rebellious with it, where if somebody tells you to be relatively clean, you get so, uh, you're like, oh, oh, this is BS, man. Like, Louis C.K.'s not relatively clean. Uh, Bill Burr's not clean. And it's like, yeah, but they all started somewhere. And so when you're a young comic, you're trying to get gigs. So I remember getting booked for a gig, and they asked me to be clean, and I, I thought I was pretty clean. But as I was going through my set, I was like, oh, I can't tell this punchline. I can't tell this punchline. 
So that's when I was like, well, let me start writing clean jokes so that if I get asked to be clean, I don't have to turn down a gig or I don't make the person who booked me look bad for booking me. I mean, that's really bottom line. That's what it's all about is you want to make sure that, um, you know, that you're, you're able to get, you're able to do the job that you're asked to do uh, without blowing it for later. And I just thought, um, and I'm not bashing the guy. I don't know that the guy's a listener of my podcast, but also he, he talked about, you know, how he was a big fan and it was an honor to be on the show. And then when I get done with my set, I go outside because you have to go outside to get around to the merch table and he's out there smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, all right, dude, I don't care if you don't like my comedy, but don't be like, it's an honor to work with you and then be outside. I mean, it just feels disingenuous. I'm just complaining. I don't care what the guy does. The guy's got his own life to live. He doesn't have to sit around and listen to my set. I'm just venting here on the podcast. But the show was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun there. And then I went over and ate some tacos at a place near the club. And um, they were delicious. It was a wild... It was in Gainesville, Florida, which is a college town. You know, that's where the Florida Gators play. A guy gave me a hat right off his head. Uh, Florida Gators hat right off his head and I thought that was very nice and 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 it and it's uh, made me think you know when I was in Kentucky someone gave me a University of Kentucky hat now I'm in Florida someone gave me a uh, uh, f- uh, you know a Florida Gators hat um, and I thought wow it'd be nice to collect a uh, a hat from every SEC school that I go to that would be nice I'm not gonna buy them. And I'm not going to ask people to give them to me, but it would be nice. I'll be in Columbia, Missouri soon, uh, and I get myself a Mizzou hat. Um, I already have an Alabama hat. I already have an Auburn hat. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to have a hat from every SEC school as I go to those places. I mean, I don't know that I'll go to all of them, but you know, I'll be going to some. Uh, I got a. Uh, oh, well, I'll get to those here soon, but. Um, so then I did that gig, and then I, I drove down after Gainesville. I drove down to West Palm Beach, where it has been a complete 180 from the last time I was here. Thursday night, we had a pretty weak turnout, but it was a dynamite show. Friday, both shows were great. Uh, the late show on Friday, something happened uh, that I somehow want to incorporate into my set, but I've not found out how to do it. But I said, I really like country music. And somebody in the audience goes, yee-yee, right? And I had never heard this yee-yee thing before. Um, yee-yee. I mean, like, I can't even do it well. And, and, and maybe I had heard it before, but it's it just not in my mind. I had not even ever thought about yee-yee. We used to do a thing. We'd go, skew-whoop. We used to do that sort of thing. That was kind of our redneck thing. Skew-whoop. But yee-yee was not a thing I had heard of. So I did that and someone yelled out yee and I made a few jokes about it. And then the rest of the set, I found ways to incorporate yee in about every punchline and it was crushing every time. B- big parts of the audience were yelling out yee and you would think that it would be annoying, but somehow it just worked and was fun in the setting for the night. It was just, it was just amazing. 
Um, and I can't wait to try to work that in somewhere. Liam Nelson is uh, uh, featuring for me this weekend, and he recorded this at my camera. You know, I always have some problems recording something, so I didn't get to film it. Hopefully he has it. I'd love to share some of those clips. I don't know if I mentioned Chris Buck, worked with me in Gainesville, longtime friend, happy to have him on the show. Um, and he's going to be working with me in Jacksonville later in the year when I'll be there. Um, but uh, me and Le- Liam have had a great time this weekend. We got one more show tonight. We had two shows on Saturday, really good. Saturday, one of the shows was uh, very full. Uh, I don't think it was sold out, but it's the closest I've come to a sellout in West Palm. I don't expect to sell out everywhere I go. I mean, eventually that is the goal, but I'm, you know, I'm still building. I love a slow build. A slow build is really great for me, and it, I'm not even being sarcastic about it. A slow build is really what I want because each step that I get to, uh, you appreciate each step. You don't get spoiled by going from zero to a hundred like that. Uh, I'm, I slowly build. I mean, my Instagram has really blown up lately. I, I, I posted a video of my stabbing joke, the he won't bite joke, and it has, you know, over a million views. And my, my followers are just really blowing up. And it, it is so, it's so fun to see because I've never had anything like that, really. I mean, Netflix blew it up a bit. Initially getting on Nateland blew it up a bit. But what's happening right now is really wild. Um, and uh, even uh, uh, my buddy Joey told me one day, he goes, he goes, hey, everybody's got a streaming service now. And he said, one day they're going to put them all together in a package and call it cable, right? So I took that idea and I reworked it into a, uh, a Twitter post where I said, um, I said, soon every network will have their own streaming platform and then we can watch with no ads then someone will put them all together in a package and they'll call it cable then they'll slowly put the ads back in and we'll be right back where we started and as of this podcast that has eighty nine thousand likes on instagram i had no idea that was happening i mean it all this stuff blows my mind i mean these are just random thoughts that you put out there i mean it seems like the videos that you work the hardest on the posts that you work the hardest on get the least amount of views i mean i worked for hours and days on this video of all the people that people say i look like and then i put that on youtube it has very few views i mean you know in the thousands but very few and then some video that i put out there that's uh about one minute long of me talking about, uh, you know, I don't know, it's some cart passing through a Kroger with nobody on it. And I'm like, this is what it's like if you're like, I'm dead, uh, but but my boss still needs me to come into work. I mean, it's got close to a million views. It's like, that's just how the internet works. Nobody gets it. If we all knew how to make things go viral, then, uh, then, then we would. We would all be a viral success. But I'm down here in West Palm Beach, and you know that there's a lot of money in West Palm Beach because I'm walking down the street, and there's a place called the Capital One Cafe. It's like a bank with a coffee shop in it, and it's like poor people ain't trying to hang out in a bank. You know, we're not like, uh, oh, let me get, let me try to get some credit and a coffee. Uh, you know, you get turned down for a loan, and you're also like, oh, you know, I, I'll have some muffins. Uh, I'll still stay for a muffin and some coffee. 
Let me get a scone. Got turned down for a loan, but I'll take a scone. Oh, that's good. I like that. Um, and, and then, you know, the thing about West Palm Beach is it's like, there's this one strip that I walk down to go to the club and it's just like phenomenal. It has those Spanish like roofs on it. The, the streets are like a nice gray brick all the way up through there. And it almost has a checkerboard feel on the sidewalks and it's fancy shops. And then I went like two streets over to buy a cigar and I was like, oh, dang, I'm back in America quick. I mean, it gets, I was like, oh, no, what happened? Where am I? So it, it's been a lot, oh, I hit the mic. It's been a lot of fun here. I've been out by the pool. I've been reading a Steve Martin book, Born Standing Up. It's really great. Actually, I'd like to read a couple of things. I'd like to read a couple of things from that book that I found. Um, really great stuff. This thing is, uh, this is a thing that I just read. This is very early on in the book. Um, reading from page two, it looks like you've not read the whole book. And I've not read the whole book, but I'm, I'm 95 pages in. And it's, uh, what is it, a 200-page a book. Hell, I'm halfway done with the book. This is the farthest I've gotten a book in a long time. Um, but this is, you know, I remember one time I, when I had first quit drinking, I went on a camping trip with some guys from my church that I was going to at the time. And they wanted me to do some stand up on the thing. I, I was just, you know, really starting to take stand up seriously. My jokes were getting good. They were clean and they asked me to do some jokes and I was like, all right, I'll do it. But then before I was doing it, I was kind of explaining to them the setting that you need really to do jokes and they were like oh man just do the jokes just do the jokes and it's like of course that's the attitude the attitude of people that don't do comedy is well hey man if you're funny you're funny you can do comedy anywhere you want and i can most likely make you laugh anywhere in any setting but there is something about the ideal setting of comedy and Steve Martin's talking about some stuff in stand-up, and he says, um, he says the audience, uh, he says something about um, the comedian's slang for a successful show is I murdered them, which I'm sure came about because you finally realized that the audience is capable of murdering you. And it's like, it is so true. And then he goes on to say, Stand-up is seldom performed in ideal circumstances. Comedy's enemy is distraction, and rarely do comedians get a pristine performing environment. I worried about the sound system, ambient noise, hecklers, drunks, lighting, sudden clangs, latecomers, and loud talkers, not to mention the nagging concern, is this funny? Yet the seedier the circumstances, the funnier one can be. I suppose these worries keep the mind sharp and the senses active. I can remember, remember instantly retiming a punchline to fit around the crash of a dropped glass of wine or crashing my voice or, or raising my voice over, a, over to, I can't read, uh, or raising my voice to cover a patron's ill-timed sneeze seemingly microseconds before the interruption happened. And 
I just think that's amazing because it is so true. I mean, it is rare that you get those pristine circumstances. It's like, I'm I'm a club comic. I mean, I'm probably going to, you know, slowly move into theaters provided that everything goes the way that my management and agents would like it to go. I will slowly become, you know, a theater comic. But I am a club comic. I started off comedy in Charleston, South Carolina, performing in small theaters. So it's like I started as an artsy theater comedian. I had a really slow cadence. And and to say that and then to say that I'm faster now probably blows people's minds because I'm still relatively uh, a slow cadence. But I started off very slow. I mean, because you're, you're in these great, theaters, even small ones, Theater 99 was so designed around improv that the audiences were really trained to not heckle, to not yell out, to not say anything to the people on stage unless they were asked to say something. So when I started working the road, I realized, wow, these comedy clubs I'm getting into now on the road are an entirely different beast like they, they don't care at all the 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 clubs are not going to kick anybody out uh there's no rules here you know we ask the audience not to yell out but when there's 12 people in the audience you're not going to kick anybody out because you'll lose half your audience so you you learn to deal with all these things and then as i'm going along in comedy you know things are you know i'm getting better clubs there's better security but then you come to West Palm Beach where everybody around here has a bunch of money and they're drinking and, and they're probably doing drugs. Uh, they're just partying, right? So the heckles have not been bad, but there's been a lot of people yelling out and the club is great. The club is really doing what they can to control it. But I've learned that as long as the audience is fun with their heckles, I can roll with it. I can make that part of my show and it'll be a lot of fun. But the problem is when people are not fun with it, when they're deliberately trying to hurt the show uh, or they're even, you know, they don't even realize what they're doing. They're talking amongst their own table and don't realize how big of a distraction they are. That's when it's bad. But I've learned to roll with it. And so I guess that's what he's saying is like you get sharp to it and you and it makes you a better comic. And I just I found that to be amazing. And there was another one that um, he said that I saw this morning that I really liked. He said something about, um, oh, um, I just thought about this because someone said this to me last night, and they're and they're being um, very nice, right? They're being they're they're being supportive, and they're being and so I'm not mad at them about these comments, but I get these comments once in a while. They'll go, oh, keep going, man. You're gonna make it. Oh, you're gonna do it. You're gonna make it. And I'm like. To me, I made it. I've been a full-time comedian since 2014. Uh, I went from living in an attic apartment for $250 a month to being able to buy my own house um, off of money that I've made in comedy. I've successfully transitioned from a nine-to-five job to a job in entertainment. To me, I've made it. Anything that happens from here is just blessings. I've already made it. I feel very good about what I've accomplished. And I, and I don't mean that in any other way than I, um, yeah, I just feel good. And I, I don't, I don't um, I'm not mad at the person for saying what they said to me, but 
it's interesting. And then I just read in here that um, um, Steve Martin was talking about how broke he was in the early days and going to Vegas with this girl who had a lot of money. And he says, um, uh, it was Nina who had the dough and we learned that Vegas could support even the poorly healed by offering $1.25 all-you-can-eat buffets. Nina treated me to some Vegas nightclubs and I fantasized about starring as a lounge act at a spiffy hotel. Now, I know a lot of comics now that if they were a lounge act in a spiffy hotel, they would think that their career was over. They would think, oh, oh it's ended. I mean, oftentimes people will say that about cruise comics, cruise ship comics. I've said it about cruise ship comics. I say that's the end of the line. When, you've, when you're a cruise ship comic, it's end of the line. But Steve Martin is talking about fantasizing about that sort of thing. And what he talks about a lot in this book is kind of his na uh, being naive. I don't know that word, naivete or naive, I don't know it, but being naive and childlike. And I think that's something that I benefited from very early on, in, you know, in my 20s and, and in, in comedy, is just being naive. Whereas there's an innocence of being naive and, and you're like, you just, you fantasize about the simplest things because uh, you don't really know anything else. And, and, and I think, you know, I think that's a huge benefit. I think that, you know, you're just like, uh, oh man, I would love to do comedy on a cruise. And then the further you go along in comedy, the more, um, I don't know, snobby you get in a way where you're like, oh, cruise ship comic. And I'm like, if I ended, I, I don't want to do cruise ship comic, uh, comedy, mainly because I, I don't really like boats. I don't really want to be gone from my family that long. But at the end of the day, if everything else failed and I was offered uh, cruise ship comedy and I could make the kind of money they make, I'm like, yeah, give it to me. I'll take it. It's like, it's just all where you're at and all about your perspective. I mean, you can be, uh, it's like I was watching, it was a, uh, a clip from Office Space. And, and the main character is talking with his neighbor who had the, you know, the guy who, and he goes, he goes, if, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? And the neighbor goes, I'll tell you what I'd do. Two chicks at the same time, right? And it's very funny. But they go on to say, and then the guy who asked the question goes, you know what I'd do if I had a million dollars? Nothing. I'd do nothing. And then the neighbor goes, oh, hell, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing. Just look at my uncle. He, he broke and he does nothing all day. Something to that effect. And it's like, it's absolutely true. Uh, it's just like, it's all about perspective, right? We want money so we can relax and do nothing, but we want money so we can relax and do nothing in luxury. You could relax and do nothing anytime. And, uh, you know, I've done that. It's all about scaling your life down. I don't even know where this is going at this point. But I've also, uh, since the last time uh, I was on here, I have uh, been to Pittsburgh. I had a great weekend in Pittsburgh, really great. I mean, the last time I went there was 2019, uh, right after I, I did The Tonight Show for the second time and then flew uh, from New York to Pittsburgh. Uh, my wife flew there and met me. We didn't have a kid at the time, and we just hung out there for the weekend, and I had a great time in Pittsburgh. Really great people came out, a lot of Nate Land people, um, very nice, had a lot of fun. Um, 
Josh Kaderna opened for me, and Colin uh, Colin Chamber Chamberlain. Jeez, I never can. Brian Bates makes fun of me all the time because I'm like, yeah, I had one of my best friends open for me. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, but yes, Colin Chamberlain, Josh Kaderna. Great shows, really a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoy Pittsburgh, even though this time around I didn't see any of it. I just stayed there in Homestead in the, in the little area where we stayed, but it was great. Um, loved it. Uh, shows were super fun. And then I did the Opry. I got to do the Grand Old Opry, and I asked them how many times I had done it because I've lost track. And I asked, and they said, I've done it 22 times. And it blows my mind that I've done the Opry 22 times. I, could, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Um, but this particular time, um, Lori Morgan was on the show, who I met Lori Morgan briefly. Uh, and she, I let, met her at when I did the uh, Charlie Daniels Jam at um, uh, the Bridgestone Arena, which was unbelievable in itself. I was doing the Bridgestone Arena amongst... I've probably talked about this before, but I was on this lineup with all these country singers, 90s country singers, and, uh, you know, and this place was packed, and I'm the only comedian on that lineup, and I, like, I have to follow Big and Rich, Big and Rich singing Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy uh, in Nashville, and then in this huge arena, and then once they come off, I go on. I was there were some agents. I don't even know if they were my agents, but they were off to the side, and I was just prepping them. I was like, I was like, listen, I just want you to know, I'm about to bomb, so just get ready for it. Uh, but Stormy Warren, who uh, has become a friend of mine, who is the uh, DJ on uh, Sirius XM uh, station, The Highway, uh, one of the biggest stations in all of Sirius Radio, I'm told. Um, very popular. Stormy Warren's show is very popular. And so I'm, you know, and he goes up, he's emceeing the thing, and he gives me a really great intro. He's a very nice guy. Gives me a really great intro. And then the people in that arena just sat down and listened to me. I was only supposed to do five minutes. I ended up doing about 10, and it was great. And then I come off stage, and Lori Morgan is there, and she goes, hey, I'm Lori. And I go, oh, hey, great to meet you. And then I'm like, oh, shoot. I was like, that's Lori Morgan. So I went up to her, and I go, hey, you're Lori Morgan. I was like, I've been listening to your music my whole life. And uh, and it was really great. So I'm doing the Opry. Lori Morgan's on there. And then one of my favorite country singers of all time, uh, Jamie Johnson, is on the lineup. And I love Jamie Johnson. I mean, he has a song, uh, that lonesome song, where it goes, uh, he goes, uh, the morning sun made its way through the windshield of my Chevrolet. Whiskey-eyed ashtray breath on a chur-grock gravel road. I never knew that word. Uh, what the hell did I do last night? That's the story of my life. It's like trying to remember words to a song nobody wrote. And it is uh, such an amazing song. Those lyrics, at one time in my life, uh, <laughs> I... I sang those proudly, you know, I would wake up hungover, tasting like an ashtray, uh, being like, dang, what happened last night? And I would be so embarrassed at times, but I would listen to a song like that, and somehow it would make me feel better about the uh, trash life that I was living. Uh, and, and his songs have just meant so much to me. He had so many great songs. Um, 
And he also wrote Honky Tonk Badonkadonk, uh, a big Trace Adkins hit. And Trace Adkins is also uh, I've become friendly with. And so it's just fun. So I see Jamie Johnson in his green room sitting alone at the Opry. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to him. I don't know what I'm going to say or how I'm going to approach this, but I'm going to talk to him. So I, I'm, my friend Evan Burke is with me, and, uh, and I go, all right, I'm about to go in there. And uh, I walk in, and I go, hey, uh, I, uh, you know, and I'm just trying to figure out how to say hey. And he goes, hey, I've seen your comedy before. He goes, I saw you on Netflix. And I was like, oh, man, that is amazing. Not only did that help me break the ice, but now uh, a guy that I'm a fan of is also uh, potentially a fan of mine. And that I just... I can't even comprehend that sort of thing. It just, I was like, wow, what world am I living? Who am I? And uh, we talked for a bit, and he asked me if I was a golfer, you know. And then I said no, and then I made fun of golf for a while, and I talked about, you know, it's a uh, famous line in my mind that my dad has said. My dad's a farmer, and my dad goes, golf is a waste of a good cow pasture. And I said that to Jamie Johnson, and he laughed. Uh, and then we talked more, and then um, uh, later it was revealed to me that he owns uh, some golf courses. <laughs> so I don't know. He's probably going to invite me golfing. I don't know, but I, I squandered that opportunity um, by trashing golf. But to be honest with you, it's better that way because I do hate golf, and I don't want to go golfing. I don't want to learn to golf. Now, life changes. You know, we go in different directions. And, um, you know, you hate something one moment and the next moment you're doing it. But I'm 40. I don't anticipate there's a time when I'm going to be getting into golf. I mean, I don't mind walking around a pasture, but I'd rather do it with my shoes off uh, and, and, and planting some flowers and some vegetables and, you know, watching things grow. I just am not inter- interested in golf. But, Jamie Johnson had enough of a sense of humor to laugh along with me while I was making fun of something that he was potentially going to tell me how much he enjoyed. Um, but I went and I did, you know, a short version of my joke where I, uh, I riff on the song, It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. And then I come off stage and Jamie Johnson goes, hey, I know the guy that wrote that song. And I said, hey, I got a full version of that that I'd love to send to you and have you send to him. So Jamie Johnson gives me his phone number, which again, I mean, just uh, my mind is being blown left and right here at the Opry. And uh, so I text him the video and then he sends it to the guy and he says the guy watched it, said he loved it. So I have a full version of that that I'm looking to put out on the internet soon. I'm just finding, trying to find the right way to do it. I'm trying to line up some country people that I know to hopefully share the video so it can get the maximum amount of reach. Uh, it's about a seven-minute breakdown of the song. If you've seen me live in the past few years, you've probably seen me do it, but I'm tired of doing the full version of that. It's it's seven minutes, seven, eight minutes long. It's too long. And um, so I just thought, let me put it out on the internet. Hopefully people just enjoy it out there and then I, I don't do it live anymore. Or maybe it explodes and that becomes uh, my Burt Kreischer's machine. Probably not, as I talked about at the beginning of this video. Every time you want a video to get a lot of views, it's small. So it'll probably get two views, and then uh, either way, I'll never do the joke again. Um, so that's where I've been. That's all of that. That's all of where I've been. Where I'm going, 
I got next week off. Really great. I need some rest. This has been quite a run here. Um, and I got one more show tonight. But um, where I'm going, uh, in the coming weeks, what is it? Uh, let me find the exact date. Uh, Thursday, August 18th, I'm going to be doing the Iowa State Fair in Des Moines, Iowa with John Christ. Um, I think uh, Derek Stroop is on the show, maybe someone else, but Derek Stroop and John Christ and me will be doing the uh, Iowa State Fair in Des Moines, Iowa. Very excited about that. I like Des Moines. I think doing this show has kept me from being able to do the Des Moines Funny Bone this year, which I am bummed about because I like that club a lot. Uh, but I'm excited to be doing the fair. Hopefully I can do the fair, pick up some fans, and next time I'm at the Des Moines Funny Bone, it, I'll really sell some tickets. Uh, but I like doing that club. But the Iowa State Fair, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I've never really done a show with John outside of doing uh, Nashville shows. Uh, so I'm excited about it. I like John a lot. He's a really nice guy. And I like Derek Stroop. Um, so that's going to be fun. And then I'll go from there to Wichita, um, uh, doing the um, a bar called Vorshay's Cocktail Lounge. Uh, I I always want to do the Wichita Looney Bin. I, I really like that club, but the old Booker for some reason at the Looney Bins didn't care for me. He would never book me to headline. I do the Oklahoma City Looney Bin because the owners there uh, of that club like me, and they they bring me in. But uh, Jeff Jones, who recently has passed away, uh, so I, you know I don't mean to uh, talk bad about um, someone that's passed away, but he never really seemed to like me, so he never would book me to headline his club. So, and I like the guy Biggs who books the Wichita Looney Bin. And when I got booked at Borchers, he reached out to me and said, "Well, I wish you were doing the Wichita Looney Bin." And I was like, "Me too, you know, me too." But I never get booked there, so I want to. Um, go to Wichita, it routes well, so I'm going to do this Borchers Cocktail Lounge. I don't know what to expect there, but uh, uh, I'm excited to be going back to Wichita nonetheless, so I'll be there August 18th, or yes. Oh, okay, so August 17th, I'm at the Iowa State Fair. August 18th, I'm in Wichita, and then the 19th and the 20th of August, I'll be at the Kansas City uh, Improv. Love that club. Been there many times. Happy to be going back. And then on Sunday, August 21st, I'll be in Columbia, Missouri uh, at the Blue Note. So if you're in those areas, uh, come see my shows. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to be going there. Um, I uh, recently, when I was in... Oh, when I was in Pittsburgh, uh, my friend Jordan Jensen was also there at the same time doing a show. So on Saturday, we hung out and we went to a Dick's Sporting Goods because, you know, we're just in kind of a shopping center area in Homestead and we we're just walking around. And she bought some new shoes. And as I was looking at shoes, I was like, man, I want some new shoes. And I didn't buy any that day. But as the week went on, I was like, man, I really want some new shoes. I want some tennis shoes. I realized that I've been wearing brown loafers for 10 years. And I wanted some new shoes. Probably long, yeah, 10 years. I wanted some new shoes. I was like, it's time 
for me to switch it up and get into a new style. So I've been looking for shoes and I ended up buying the same shoes that Jordan bought, but I bought them when I was in Gainesville and it just feels good. I've been wearing them when I'm in West Palm Beach, just some white Nikes. And I'm like, man, this feels good. It feels fresh. It's really changed my whole vibe. I mean, I feel good. I mean, I've become a new person down in West Palm Beach. I'm wearing different shirts. I, I cleaned my hat up. It's fresh looking. I got white shoes. I've been hanging out by the pool. I'm like, who am I? But whoever I am, it feels good. And I feel like this is what's happened to me, right? When I was growing up, in high school, I really embraced uh, a new style. I was dressing wild. I got voted, uh, you know, most original style in my yearbook. Um, I got, I used to wear these uh, shoes with flames on it. I had green Ciccones. I had purple Ciccones. I just, and I would continue this, you know, kind of wild style way on into to my, my after high school. And then I moved to Charleston and I got more into, you know, beach slash kind of preppy style, collared shirts, khaki shorts, flip flops. And, um, you know, and I did that for a long time. And then, um, uh, and, and, and then I, I, I still kept kind of a fun style. I remember my last sales meeting with, uh, Spectracide, I was wearing these uh, red shoes. I forget what they were called, Sanooks or something like that. They were red. I mean, probably very unprofessional to be wearing to the sales meeting, but I wore it anyway. I knew I was about to quit. Uh, I actually, I don't think that was the last one. That was the second to the last one, but I knew I was going to quit. I, I felt like quitting at that one. That was the sales meeting that I went to where I was, I was like, I'm coming here for my bonus and then I'm going to quit. But at that sales meeting, there was a flip. My old boss that I couldn't stand uh, left that position and then uh, upon leaving, put me on some kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, probationary, probationary period, which is the main reason I don't like him. I actually... Uh, I have forgiven him, and I, I feel bad about the bad things I've said about him But um, on this podcast because I didn't realize Spectracide people would be listening the way they have. Uh, but I, I would have immediately moved on and liked him just fine had he just left the position and let the new boss do his own assessment of me. But he put me on a probationary period, which had I not been friends with the new boss the way that I was, the new boss might have just fired me. So he really had it out for me because he was lazy and a horrible boss and probably not that good of a person all around. And that's why he did that to me and why he treated me that way. But either way, I stuck around another year because of that boss. So in, in late 2011, we were doing what we call resets with the job, uh, which is where we would go to a Lowe's or a Home Depot store and each year in the, I'm sure they do it in all the departments, but in the pesticide aisle um, and in the fertilizer aisle, most of the time they would rearrange all the products. It'd be for various different things like, you know, new products would come in, old products would go out, but we'd have to rearrange all the products and print new labels. Sometimes we'd have to paint the beams if they were all rusty looking and we would have to adjust the beams. It was a lot of work. It was very tedious and not a lot of fun. 
and this guy named Chaz, Chaz used to work for me in Savannah at Spectreside, and then he got moved up to his own position, and he was had a place in Statesboro, which is where we were doing a reset, Statesboro, Georgia. So he was coming down to help me do my reset, and then I was going to stay with him, and we were going to go out in Statesboro. But for whatever reason, I did not bring any clothes other than my Spectreside clothes. So me and Chaz, who was a bad influence on me, um, I liked him, but he was a bad influence on me. We were doing a reset in Statesboro, and then we went on lunch break. And Chaz, and I had never did this. I mean, I, I'll fully admit, I mean, I went out for drinks oftentimes when I worked at that job, and then I'd go back to work a little buzzed. But I never got, I never smoked weed uh, and did the job. I never did. I, I always, I mean, I know I, I just said that I would drink uh, at lunch sometimes. I had a period where I was uh, dating a girl that worked for the competition and me and her would drink all the time. And then after my boss, Stu, retired, I would meet up with him for lunch uh, once in a while and we would have a couple of drinks on the clock. Uh, but other than that, I was always very professional. I mean, I was hungover a lot, but I was professional. But Chaz talked me into going to lunch and then getting high. Uh, and I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And then I was like, oh, no, I regret this because I'm so paranoid now. And so we went to lunch, and then I had a couple of drinks at lunch to try to kill the paranoia. And then I went back to finish the job. And the manager of the store came up to me and started talking to me. And I was like, oh, no. But I think it was fine. I liked that manager. I think I played it off just fine. And we were doing a great job. So the job didn't suffer because we were doing it. But I don't even know why I'm throwing that detail in. It's not important to the story. But I just, as I was thinking about it, I was remembering it. And so me and Chaz, we wanted to go out that night. So we, neither of us really had any clothes. So we went to like a, you know, a JCPenney or a Dillard's or something like that. And we bought, you know, I wanted to buy some shirts, some pants and some shoes that I could wear out to the bar. Right. And I always figure you do something like that. It's like who couldn't use an extra pair of pants or another shirt or some shoes or whatever. So it wasn't a big deal. So I bought, uh, I didn't try anything on. I bought a shirt, some jeans and a pair of loafers. And, you know, I got to Chaz's place. I put them on. The shirt was too big. The pants were too small. The shoes were, they could fit, but they didn't fit well. And this was late 2011. This was probably the heaviest that I ever got. Late 2011, early 2012 was the heaviest I ever got. Um, and this could have been early 2012. I don't know. But it was the heaviest I ever got. And I just, I was sweating a lot. And we went out to a bar. We we're having a pretty good time and getting pretty drunk. And then towards the end, we met these girls. And we start, and there was me, Chaz, and another guy. I think me and that other guy were single, and Chaz had a girlfriend. And guys with girlfriends are always the worst because they always talk to the girls fearlessly because they're like, it's like a joke I have now about it where it's like, uh, you know, as a married guy, you can, you know, you, you, you're totally confident because you can always believe that you're about to get laid. As long as you never act on it, it doesn't matter. You can just feel confident and like, yeah, I could have got laid if I wanted, right? So we're, 
you know, we're talking to these girls, and I felt like Chaz was blocking me, right? And I got, I was a very, there's another word for it, but we'll just say he was blocking me. And um, I was a very emotional drunk. I mean, I would get so mad at people uh, over almost nothing. Once I got too drunk, I would get very emotional. It was like, uh, you know, the kind of emotional I was, especially about something like that, you would think that I was never having any action with the ladies at all, but I was doing just fine, but I was just too emotional. I, I'm sure that I was dealing with some sort of childhood trauma while also way too drunk to know how to handle my emotions. It really wasn't until I quit drinking that I got control of my emotions and my life and figured out how to be an actual rational human being. But as a drinker, I was, you know, I was insane. And I got so mad at Chaz. And we, we ate some food at the Waffle House, and I was just so mad at him. I mean, we, we were practically got into a fight. And Chaz was very muscular. I mean, he would have killed me in a fight. I think he was even former military. Uh, he would have killed me in a fight. But I was, you know, I had no fear and uh, no rational thinking mind when I was, when I was drinking. So, um... You know, I was like, you know, I just didn't have any fear. I was like, oh, whatever. And I got mad. And then we went back to the, um, we went back to his place and we were just all going to hang. And I think that Chaz thought, and Statesboro was three hours away from Charleston where I lived. And I was very drunk. And I think Chaz just thought we were going to get back to the house and, you know, water under the bridge have some weed, chill out, have a good time, watch a movie or something. But, you know, something Chaz didn't know about me is that I did not let things go when I was drinking. I, it did not, the, the mood did not just move on. I did not let things go. I mean, the emotion continued to ramp up and I would be very in my head about it. And I mean, I could conjure up all kinds of hate for a person when I was drinking and I grabbed my stuff and I got in the car, and I proceeded to drive home. Very drunk, three hours away. So I'm riding down this empty interstate, probably two, three in the morning, from Statesboro, Georgia, back to, I think, Interstate 95, where I would connect back up to Charleston. And, and, and uh, Pooler, Georgia, was around that connection of the interstate. And I was driving a Honda Fit. That was the car that I traded in my Dodge Avenger. I was driving a Honda Fit. Uh, and I was driving along and I was falling asleep and, um, I, I ran off the road a couple of times and I was like, Whoa. And then one time I fell asleep. I ran into the median. I jerked the wheel, came back up on the road, but I completely slid sideways. The car was almost sideways sliding and I jerked the wheel the other way and the car completely turned around and I was sliding that way and I jerked the wheel again. The car straightened up miraculously on the road and I was just back out on the highway and now very alert. And I pulled into a Walmart parking lot and I slept there for the night. Um, I woke up the next morning, went into the Walmart, bought a water, peed and drove home and now drove home with the uh, hangover depression state that you go into when you've uh, blacked out and made irrational decisions. 
um, just an awful place to be, an awful mindset, which is why I really, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this more in a minute, but I, I really enjoy the song Sunday Morning Coming Down, made famous by Johnny Cash, a very good version, but written by Chris Christopherson. If you get an opportunity, listen to Chris Christopherson's version of Sunday Morning Coming Down, especially if you've been an alcoholic or have ever really dealt with that kind of, uh, you know, any kind of addiction where you're coming off of whatever the next morning. Because what I find interesting about the song is he's kind of talking about, you know, uh, waking up hungover, having another beer, uh, getting over the night that he just had, and then walking around and he says he caught uh, the Sunday smell of someone frying chicken and it took me back to some place that I'd lost somehow, somewhere along the way, right? It's like when you're living in that world of addiction where you're constantly just in into the drug or into the alcohol, you lose touch with reality. So those simple things that you used to remember as a childhood uh, are completely gone from you because you're like, oh, Oh, frying chicken. Yeah. I remember sitting at home with my family eating fried chicken. And now I've been drunk for, you know, six months, six years. I don't even remember what that's like. And then you catch that whiff and you're like, oh man, that is fun. And so I enjoy that song because it does take me back, you know, to that place. Um, uh, and it's just nice to be free of that. I am in touch with things and I uh, know what fried chicken smells like because I'm able to experience it on a daily basis. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, I, I, I don't know, the song hits me in a way that just uh, really, uh, I've used the term blows my mind too much today. I need a new term, but it does. It blows my mind how how much that song, how much I connect with that song. But I also want to talk about that near car accident that I had, probably a near fatal car accident. It's just another example in my life of how God has protected me even when I'm at my worst. I mean, I gave my life to Jesus years ago. People keep writing me emails when they hear me talk about the laws and stuff and they go, I just want to make sure you're, you're, you've given your life to Jesus. And it's like, you know, relax. Of course, um, it's like, People always lose the point of the law because they focus on, you know, that part of the thing. And I'm like, yes, I don't believe that the laws save you. I've said it many times. The laws are not, the laws cannot save you. The laws are for the saved. So once you become saved, once you accept Jesus, then you begin the journey of deciding or or figuring out what God wants from you. And then you follow that. It's that simple. It's not complicated. People want to make it complicated. They want, to, they want to act like I'm trying to get to heaven by not eating pork. I'm like, no, God tells me two times in the Old Testament not to eat pork, so I stop doing it. Um, that's all. Um, but it just, Jesus uh, and, you know, God continued to save me in these really weird times when it's like, man, that car should have flipped. I should have flipped that car. I should have got a DUI, but somehow I made it to that Walmart. I slept in that parking lot and then I made it home and I made it home. And the next morning, Chaz texted me and he says, 
hey man, I can't find my car keys. And I go out and I look in my car and his car keys are there in my car. And I'm like, oh man. I did not, I was so hungover. I did not want to drive three hours. I did not want to face Chaz after the night we just had. I was so embarrassed. And I also didn't want to drive three hours to take him back the keys. And luckily, his girlfriend was able to bring him a spare set of keys. And, um, and, uh, and I mailed him his keys. So it worked out just fine. And, um, and our, our relationship never recovered from that. I actually considered Chaz a pretty good friend, but our relationship never really covered from that, recovered from it. And it was too bad because I did like him a lot. Um, I saw him again at the last sales meeting I went to and we did hang out, but again, it was never the same. Um, uh, but actually, Chaz was with me. I talked about this a little bit on the Alabama episode of the Nate Lamb podcast and probably on this podcast too. Uh, but I would, we would always at the, at the sales meetings, they would always do these things. We would have these meetings and the big managers would make these proclamations of, you know, they would say things like, you know, on the resets, we would, you know, change the shelving out. And sometimes we would get new space. We would get extra space on the shelf, which extra, extra space on the shelf, you know, equates to bigger sales for the most part. Like if our wasp and hornet killer has, you see three bottles on the shelf, uh, and then now all of a sudden you see four bottles, uh, chances are you're going to get more sales. So they would say, this year we got you four spaces of Wasp and Hornet Killer on the shelf, and then the whole audience would just break out into applause, like some weird 1984 episode where uh, you know the, 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 you know, the dictator declares something, and we all clap because we feel like we need to. Uh, he's our Kim Jong-un up there. We're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. We love the state. Um, so I figured out, I got to kind of figuring out where I felt like other people would join in on applause. I did a tally of how many applause breaks we did over the weekend. It was well over 100. I mean, we applauded so many times. But I started starting the applause. I was like, oh, I bet people will clap here. And I would start clapping and then people would just join in. And Chaz was in on that with me. And we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, I'm pretty sure Chaz encouraged me to uh, smoke weed in my hotel room, which was also, uh, which also would have gotten me in trouble. Uh, but I did it and um, regretted it. Uh, but the reason I tell you all this about Chaz is because of the clothes I bought. I bought uh, shirt, pants, shoes. Pants and shirt, too small for me. Shortly after this incident with Chaz, I quit drinking. Within two months, I lost 40 pounds after quitting drinking. And the pants that I bought that were too small were now the only pants I owned that properly fit me. And the loafers that I never wore because they were ill-fitting, um, I started wearing. And I started wearing the loafers as a joke. I started wearing them with no shoes. I was really getting into this hipster vibe. I was suddenly slim now, and I was really getting into kind of the slim jeans and, and, and black t-shirts and black jeans, which is still my look to this day. I mean, black t-shirt, black jeans was my look forever. Once I started headlining gigs, I decided, well, I'll put on a nicer shirt than just a black v-neck. 
but that would become my look for a long time. Black shirt, black jeans, loafers. These loafers, what I was going to do is kind of cut them up and really mess them up and make them look raggedy and wear them. But then I put them on with no socks and just thought, you know, these fit pretty good. I'll just start wearing these. So I wore those loafers until I wore the soles out of the shoes. If I stepped in a puddle, the water would leak up from the shoes and get my socks wet. So I bought a new pair of loafers because I liked those so much. And I did the same thing to those loafers. I remember doing a tour of the country with Jordan Jensen and Evan Burke, and we went to D.C., and it was cold and rainy, and the, my, my uh, socks was soaking up the water from the soles of my shoes because they were so thin. I was feeling sick anyway. I did a show in D.C., with just my socks on and my voice was so hoarse that I could barely talk and I did a show like that. Um, sure, a disappointment to the crowd, I'm sure, but it was a very unique show. And I've just been buying loafers. My father-in-law gave me a pair of boots that I wore for a brief period of time, but he also gave me a pair of loafers that I wore and I've been wearing loafers the most boring shoe on the planet for the last 10 years. I just can't believe that I let my style become so boring. I was known as a guy with a unique style and a unique brand and I let my shoe game get so boring. There was a brief period in there where I was wearing cowboy boots. I dated a, a girl for a short time in Nashville that was a musician and we bought uh, I bought boots one time at a thrift store with her. And uh, so for a brief period, I wore cowboy boots, but very brief. I was a loafer man for 10 years. And now I'm happy to say that I've bought some tennis shoes and it feels good. It feels good to wear some tennis shoes again. I feel alive out here. I'm walking around. I mean, my hat, I cleaned it off. I bought shoe cleaner at the shoe store and used it on my hat. My hat is clean and fresh. I feel good. I bought some sh some sh clothes at the uh, at the Gap or the I don't know, the some kind of store. Uh Old Navy. I don't even know who I am anymore. But this is what I think happened to me, right? I moved from Alabama and I got into Charleston and I was kind of rejecting my old style. I ran away from my trailer, trailer park youth and my uh, kind of redneck youth. And I dove into this beach vibe, preppy Charleston vibe. I dove into that. And then when I moved to Nashville, I was like running from that vibe back to my country roots. But, you know, I lived in Alabama for 20 years and I lived in Charleston for 10 years. I am both of those. I am both simultaneously redneck, trailer park vibe, and also beachy, preppy vibe. I mean, I, I can do it. I love the beach life. I mean, West Palm Beach has reminded me how much I love the beach. I didn't even go to the beach while I'm here, but I hung out at the pool a lot. There's palm trees all around me. I love the beach life. I just, I love being outdoors. I love the sunshine. I love fresh air. I love plants. I love greenery. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, life is good out here. I'm having a good time.
Um, you know, I don't... I did have some emails I wanted to read. I don't have really Bible talk. I mean, I, I just feel good. Life is good. Um, let me just see here. Here's something. Uh, this person saw me recently. Um... And they really liked my comedy. Uh, my wife and I greatly appreciate your clean sense of humor. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, he says, I will be honest. I had never heard of you until my brother-in-law mentioned you were coming to Pittsburgh. And uh, a few months back, I watched a very small portion of your stand-up, but didn't want to watch too much because I didn't want to spoil the event, so to speak. Anyway, to make a long story longer... My brother-in-law told me about your podcast and your Bible talk. So I listened to four of your most recent podcasts on my travels back to work yesterday evening. Had a good time. Really enjoy the Bible talk portion. I grew up in a church that kept the holidays of the Bible, not eating pork, kept a Saturday Sabbath. We spoke of Christ, but found our salvation in keeping the law, which I broke continuously. Just a break from the email. I like all those things that they do, except for that last part. I don't, there is no, there is no salvation in doing these things. There only is salvation in Jesus. Um, so, you know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven but through me. So without Jesus, none of this stuff matters. I talk about the law all the time because I do think it's very important. I think it's very important for us to follow those things, but it means nothing without Jesus. I mean, you can do all the law following you want, but it but you need the 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 spirit, uh, you need the heart. You need you know there's it means nothing without Jesus. So all right, back to the email. I was literally dead to the law. It wasn't until later in my twenties that I understood the fullness of what took place on the cross and the sacrifice Christ took upon Himself. As the song goes, uh, all right, I don't want to read the song. I do agree that Christians should get back to a more biblical lifestyle. The Feast of Tabernacles for me as a kid and teenager was absolutely a blast. For seven days, we did things as a family and as a church that were set up in various cities and states and different countries even. There were thousands of people that would show up at these various sites and it was so fun just getting to meet different families and kids and going to church every day and learning about the different events of history in the Bible. Um... All right, this is longer than I thought. But uh, I have been in several men's Bible studies since and have always spoke about the benefits of God's law and not that salvation is gained from it, that it is through Christ alone, but that it is a good moral code to follow. All right, just break from the email. I do think it's a good moral code to follow, but I also think it's deeper than that. It is what God has asked us to do, you know? So it is a good moral code, but it also is being obedient. I am talking mainly about those that are an abomination to God. I stress to a lot who ask that eating according to dietary laws is stating as being an abomination unto you or a detriment to your well-being. It's not law and won't gain you salvation or would warrant a repentance if consumed, but it's a law to aid you in good health. I agree and I disagree in a sense. Like, you know, it's not one of the Ten Commandments, but I think if uh, God is commanding us to do it, then it makes it a law. 
I mean, I, I do think it's for our health and our well-being, but I do think it's deeper than that. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, God is saying, listen, don't do this. He's not saying, I'm advising that you not do it so that your health will be good. He's saying, don't do it. Don't do this. In my opinion, it's God being like, listen, I made all these animals. I know what's good for you and I know what's not. Don't do it. And if you're eating this and I'm asking you not to, then, then you're being disobedient to me. Um, the things which God hates are what we should concern ourselves with. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one that sows discord among brethren. I agree with that. Those are awful things. We definitely shouldn't do those. But I think if God's like, listen, he says at the end of the dietary, he says, be holy as I am holy. So I think eating those things, you know, you know, makes our bodies unholy. Now, obviously, all these things you just listed also make us unholy. There are so many things that make us unholy and unworthy, which is why we need Jesus. One of the many ways is because without him, we have no chance of getting to heaven. And he says, anyway, you got a fan for life. You speak of the exact things that I pondered as a child and still find myself pondering as a 47-year-old adult. Obviously, you're a busy man, so I look forward to listening, watching your new material as it comes out. Um, well, thank you very much. Thank you for the invite to dinner and all of those sorts of things. I really appreciate that email. I disagree with some points, but that's what I want. I mean, if we lived in a world where we just agreed with each other all the time, well, what is the point of even having a conversation? We're just, there's a scene from the 1984 um, movie where they're like, uh, the, the conversation is just how they more agree with the, the dictator or whatever. And I just think if we live in a world where we're just uh, forced to agree with each other, or even if we're a part of a religion where we're just forced to agree with each other, it gets boring. Life gets boring. I feel like we need variety. I mean, that's what I'm loving about F Florida. I mean, there is just so many different kinds of people here that it just is so fun. I mean, out by the pool, it's just a mix of people from all different countries. And it just, I don't know, it just seems so fun out there. I, I really enjoy variety and I enjoy getting to know different people. Uh, and I just think it's so important to ask questions and to be able to disagree with each other and agree with each other. And uh, it's just fun. I mean, having different beliefs, but also being able to get along is so important. Uh, it's like, I believe that Christianity is the only uh, religion. I believe Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Uh, but does that mean I'm mad at people that believe other things? Of course not. Uh, for whatever reason you believe that, for whatever reason I believe what I believe, you should think that you're right. Because if you don't think that you're right, why do you believe what you believe? In the same way that I believe that I'm right, because if I, you know, I've said this before, but I was like, ah, but, you know, I'm a Christian, but I believe Buddhism is the only way. Then why would I not believe Buddhism? That's like people that hate our country. I hear people always talk about how much they hate this country, and I'm like, if there is a country that you think is better, why are you not actively trying to go there? It makes no sense to me. Like if I believed, and there may be, I'm not saying there's not, but if I believed or knew about a country that I could live better than I live here, then I'd be trying to go there. 
I mean, I'd be trying to get a ticket as fast as I could because I want to live the best life that I can live. But I feel like this country, uh, at least for now, provides me with that best benefit. I mean, who knows what's going on around here. But uh, I'm very happy. Just some quick land updates before we get out of here. Some people have said they like hearing uh, land updates. I mean, I went out there recently and found some, uh, some fruit growing, uh, some rotted fruit, and then some squash that I did eat and was very delicious. I made a YouTube video about it. Um, I also have some watermelons growing out there. Last I was out there, they were growing and had not rotted yet. So I'm anxious to see what, what they're going to look like. Uh, water, I think water has been installed there. My neighbor uh, informed me that water was being installed. And then I have a date, late August, uh, the cabin should come. And then shortly after that, uh, I think the next week, they're going to begin installing the septic tank. And then I have a guy doing some work for me out there, some final steps to really get the land prepped the way I want it. Um, and then after that, I mean, come September, I should be ready uh, to be able to start going out there and to start having, you know, a writer's retreat. I should be able to start taking comedians out there for, you know, a comics retreat. I just want to play. I want a place that I can go with my family and, you know, an escape and, and spend time out in the woods. I mean, a lot of the great writers that my, my wife likes to read, they talk about how escaping to nature is such a, a good way to stimulate creativity. And that's what I'm looking for is just a way to spend some time out in nature um, and be able to write. And, um, and I want to be able to take comics there so they can experience that same sort of thing where we can just escape the everyday lifestyle, you know, go to a place where, you know, we turn our phones off and just walk around out in the grass in our bare feet and meditate. I've been getting into yoga the last two days. I'm kind of against yoga because I'm against, you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, talk about it being a Eastern religion type of practice, but I really need to stretch my body, and I don't know how to do it otherwise. I mean, there is these yoga classes online that I found on my phone. My friend Will O'Donnell turned me on to a yoga app, and I'm just like, man, it is really good. The last couple of days I've really stretched out in my hotel and it feels good. I'm probably going to do it as soon as I'm done filming or recording this podcast here. Um, so the land is coming along. Writer's retreat, comics retreat, is it's happening. Uh, I'm very excited about it. I don't know what I'm going to call it. Uh, I, I, you know, I thought loosely about the we're having a good time ranch, but that's too many words. And I also don't know if I want people to know that that's where I'm at. So I will come up with a name. I'm very excited about it. I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. Uh, come see me in Iowa, Wichita, Kansas City, and Columbia, Missouri. Um, I'm going to be hitting the road hard for the rest of the year. Uh, so come see me. Uh, if you're not hurt, listen to the Nateland podcast. I'm also on the Nateland podcast now. My podcast, I'm trying to do it every week, but it's really turning out to be about twice a month. But the Nateland podcast is every week, so you can catch me on there. I appreciate you guys. We're having a good time. Mm -hmm.